0: welcome to another episode of the speak the language podcast today I'm joined with dr. Mike Chamberlain um, honestly man thank you for coming on uh, I, I heard you first on the meat-eater podcast that was released previously and uh, hands down I, I'm a fan of meat-eater anyway but that was the most informative turkey podcast that I've personally ever listened to um, and we actually I appreciate had, yes sir absolutely uh, we had a fair amount of guys in box either me or the the Primo's Instagram page that had heard that podcast it was like, man, you need to get him on your podcast, and not to um, jump straight into the meat of everything or what we want to talk to, but or what we want to talk about. But uh, I've become a really big fan of this Turkey Tuesday thing that that you do, mm-hmm. and uh, just this past Tuesday, you released a a post about uh, turkey hunting. And and turkey populations and how it's going to be affected by this coronavirus pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep.
0: So um, I guess yeah. Before, so go ahead. No, I said before we get into all that, uh, maybe give if you could give a brief introduction of yourself, just so so people can know your background.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Virginia, kind of in the central part of the state. Um, grew up. Turkey hunting, actually hunting everything that I could possibly chase, um, was a fanatic from, from a young age, went to school at Virginia Tech, uh, did my undergraduate degree there. And then I ended up being fortunate enough to, to get a gig in grad school at Mississippi State. And I went there and did both my, my master's degree and my PhD degree studying turkeys and various other things. And, um, lucky enough to to get an academic position at lsu which is where i i went to after i left start right spent about a decade at lsu teaching and conducting research there and then um university of georgia offered me a position here where i'm at now and and the rest is history i've been here about about 10 years as well
0: okay um so where where did all this uh where did the the concern begin for you to start paying attention to the effects that the COVID-19 pandemic would have on turkeys.
1: Yeah, so where that started in at least in my head was, and this is a bit on a selfish vein, I, you know, I had trips planned all over America to go chase birds. And, right. and when COVID 19, the pandemic hit, uh trips started getting canceled. Uh, myself and and it's not just me, There were, there were quite a few of us in kind of the, the academic and and biological world that started bouncing texts and emails and, uh, and such off of each other saying, you know what, this is very likely going to have some impacts on how people behave because I can't go chase the birds that I was going to go chase so that's going to, uh, probably cause people to either hunt more around their local homes because that's their only option or not to hunt. And and as you know, mm-hmm. Turkey and hunters in general, we're, you know, we're fanatics about that. I mean, this is, this is, this is part of our fiber. So, right. um, we started kind of digging into some numbers that from States that track, uh, harvest and effort. Um some states don't don't do that. So we were we were trying to, to get pieces of data here and there and then anecdotally started hearing from friends that are hunters that, you know, wow, I, I showed up on Wildlife Management Area A this morning and there were trucks at every gate and,
0: right. and
1: and et cetera. So we started kind of digging into the numbers a little bit and and honestly um it was concerning when when we started looking at the amount of of effort
2: mm-hmm. and in
1: particular the amount of harvest that was that was ongoing so we put that that little commentary together basically as a uh almost as a as a record so that we could look back on it and and say well there wasn't a big impact or there was an impact or or we don't know what the impact was, but at least we put that those thoughts out there for people to consider and that's a that's a slippery slope in many ways because you know much of what we pointed out in that in that commentary is a bit uncomfortable to think about yeah it also um raises issues which i've I've received. <laughs> As you can imagine, quite a few messages, um, hate mail, if you will, about you know,
0: yeah, why
1: would you do that? Are you saying to stop hunting? And, and no, 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 no. The point of that commentary was to point out to people that let it's probably a good time this year, given how uh unprecedented these times are, to to take a, a careful look at ourselves, mm-hmm. think about how our own actions are going to impact this pop, this population, these birds on the landscape moving forward, because there's potential, and I, and I hope that I'm wrong, there's potential that we could have fairly dramatic effects on this bird in local places. And in other places, you may see that the effects go the, the opposite direction. I, I suspect that in many areas places that see a lot of non-resident activity that you may see fairly dramatic reductions in pressure and, and harvest i don't know I, that's just simply my speculation right. But again it all stems back to my own activities and, and realizing that you know damn i'm not going to go chase osceola's this year and my trip to texas is canceled and my trip to nebraska is canceled and And I use those trips every year to allow myself, one, I love to meet new people and I love to see new places and and see birds and different habitats. And, and I enjoy that, but that's how I scratch the itch. As you know, (laughs) know, that's how I get my, my feel of of chasing birds is, well, I know I'm getting ready to go spend a weekend in Texas. Well, great. I don't need to go hunt during the week. I'll, I'll work a little harder and, and stay at the office a little longer so that I can go enjoy that weekend, and now I can't do that. Well, what am I going to do? Well, logically, I'm probably going to go chase birds in my local area a little more than I would in a typical year, and that's kind of what prompted that, that article.
0: Right. It's interesting, and it, 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 the timing of it when, when you put that post out could not have been better because uh, the week prior, uh, Jordan and myself went to uh, Tennessee and we were trying to hunt a piece of public ground there. And in all my years, I mean, I grew up hunting public land locally in Mississippi, where I grew up, and I've hunted public land out of state before. I have never in my life seen that amount of pressure or that amount of hunters, I should, I should say, on one piece of public ground. Yeah. It, it, it blew my mind. We were, I mean, this was on like middle of the week at three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon. And we could not find a, a spot that didn't have a truck park or, or two trucks parked. And yeah. so that we, we started thinking on that. Then J- Jordan even said it, Jordan said, I wonder if there's going to be, you know, an increased harvest that could, you know, hurt the populations in the future. I'm like, man, I don't know. You know, and then, mm-hmm. and we'd had some folks asking us that. And then you put that post out and I said, I've, I have to reach out to you to, to to try to talk about this. Um, And you put out, what was the, in that post, I think you, you were saying like the, the hunter the numbers increased on public lands by like 40 percent. I'm sure I butchered that horribly, but
1: Yeah, and I haven't and honestly, I haven't checked today, but as of Monday, when, Monday night, when we put the last little touches on that article, and I'll be honest with you, we uh, Dr. Collier, Brett, uh, Collier and I, who, who put that together, we really did that. That was literally a, a Sunday night, Monday thing i mean we Mm -hmm. we had the thoughts down and then but we waited until the last minute to get those numbers so that we were as accurate as we possibly could be um and and if memory serves me the amount of of harvest on on public lands had increased in georgia by over 50 percent relative to last year Mm. i checked the numbers yesterday afternoon and in Georgia, uh, the harvest on public lands as of yesterday was already had already exceeded the entire season last year.
0: Holy oh, smokes!
1: The amount of harvest statewide was within about uh, eight hundred birds, I believe, give or take, than it was in the entire season last year, and we still yeah. have four weeks of hunting left. So, and 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 I get. I understand this argument. Well, there's just more birds out there this year. Mm -hmm. And that may be true in some local areas, but wide production this year was not that dramatically different or or say last year was not dramatically different than it has been in any other year. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see flows and pulp per hen ratios, but not enough to say there's 50% more toms on the landscape than there was. That's, you know, the the, the numbers just don't add up. And we know from, from research on many species, um, opportunity kills. The the more opportunity that you give hunters, the more likely they're going to harvest more animals. Um, Bag limits matter, but if you look at, it's species like waterfowl. You know, the waterfowl world has known this for many years. If you give people, I, I love the duck hunt. You can cut my bag limit to three. And I'm still going duck hunting. I'm going to hunt as many days as I can because I cherish that that opportunity to do that. Right. It doesn't matter to me whether my bag limit is three or six. I'm going anyway. Um, we know that opportunity drives harvest in, in most situations, not always, but in, in many situations it does. And that was the, the opportunity, for instance, in here in the state of Georgia, is still extensive. I mean, we still, again, we still have a month left in our season, and our harvest is almost where it was at the end of the season last year. Yeah. And you see it it's not uniform across the states and, and we don't have data, and at least I didn't have access to data in, in some states. But it's not that dramatic in in some other states. Um, it was quite a bit higher in in Tennessee mm-hmm. relative to last year at the same time. It was. We got some data yesterday from Louisiana, and it was higher, not as dramatic as it as it was in some other states. Um, same trends in in North Carolina, but if you looked at the numbers they weren't all the exact same, I mean, as you would expect. I mean, right, yeah. things differ across the landscape, and human density differs. And, and um, I did get some interesting messages yesterday. Uh, as you can imagine, when you post information like that, uh, there are a lot of people that come out of the woodwork and they, they say, you know, thank you for doing that. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of people that come out of the woodwork that, that attack you
0: yeah i got some of that just for reposting that on my page
1: yeah yeah and, and i understand uh, you know i've been in this game a long time and, and i understand how sensitive topics like this are to people um but the bottom line is in general you're seeing a fairly dramatic increase in the amount of activity and, and, and some of the messages i got yesterday were pretty were pretty interesting um uh, one, one person contacted me from a, out of state and said that uh, he had never seen the amount, like you just said, he had never seen the amount of activity within his county right. he was seeing. Uh, and then the next message that came through was from someone out, out of state, quite a ways from Georgia, saying, you know what, I haven't seen a hunter at all. Like, mm. it, as you can imagine, it was a Western subspecies area.
2: Yeah. local
1: folks don 't hunt you know on those on his ranches or any of the properties that he travels to to do his ranching and and i 've hunted with this gentleman before that 's why he comes to me and said i haven 't seen a soul you know around here and the season opened last week, which is really interesting, so what we pointed out in that article, I think is going to bear true that you 're going to see that the effects are certainly not uniform. Mm Across the landscape they're definitely not going to be uniform across the subspecies
0: because it it makes sense what you're saying because several times through our travels just just with primos you know if we leave and go to a state outside of the southeast region several times we'll run into people and they'll be you know they'll give you the you traveled all the way here from mississippi to hunt a turkey (laughs) you know and we're like yeah absolutely of course we did
2: yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah.
0: i'm glad that you don't hunt them (laughs) more yeah but uh it's uh so yeah I, it, it makes sense it's just uh, a, and, and it was uh it, the thing that that i guess the the harder the hardest question that i thought i would have to ask and you kind of touched it on all, already is you know the and i get it like you said i get people getting upset about it you know um, you don't want anyone thinking you're trying to take their hunting away sure. I, I don't want anyone to think that i'm trying to take their hunting away i think i would like to think that uh, everyone that listens to this podcast has the same goal as we do. And it's just better, better hunting in the long run, you know, in the future, sure. you want, sure. you want better Turkey populations. And so um, you put something in that post about, and again, if, if, if I misquote it, you feel free to correct me, but it was, you were like, do we need to think about scrutinizing our own harvest decisions? Right. because right. It, it is, it's a, it's a weird balance, I guess. Cause if someone is staying within the bounds of their state limit, then you can't really say that they're wrong. But at the same time, you know, if if two guys have a 100-acre lease and both of them are trying to kill their three-bird limit in Mississippi off that 100-acre piece, you know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and that's why we were very careful to put language at the end of that post about this because – it's very—it's a very slippery slope, in my opinion. Try to impose your own moral compass on someone else—that—that's not what hunters do, or we should not do that. Um, so we made that point at the end. That look—you know—we're not advocating that everyone behave the same here. We're not trying to impose our—you know—someone else's morals on you as a hunter. That's not what this is about. What this is about is trying to make people recognize what's going on on the landscape, many of which I think already did recognize that they just maybe it was, there was an aha moment or they, they saw the numbers that just verified what they were seeing in their own backyard. Right. So the point was, you know, look, folks, just think about this because it's important to recognize that bag limits uh, are set based on kind of normal conditions within a state. So just because the state tells you, you can harvest three, you can harvest four or five or whatever it is, they fix those bag limits on harvest trends and how hunters are taking animals across the landscape. So they're not anticipating such a dramatic event as what we've dealt with this year.
0: Exactly
1: and create bag limits that can anticipate a fifty percent increase in harvest or hunter effort. That that's just not reality. These bag limits and these harvest seasons were set in in the past and no one could in, have anticipated this was coming. No one could have anticipated that it was going to cause the type of social distancing in, in this mm-hmm. on our activities. So it's important to recognize as, as people, each other, that these bag limits and these season frameworks are set based on what typically happens in most seasons. And that is most turkey hunters don't kill more than one bird and, most, and many hunters in many states don't kill any bird. Um, so I put some statistics in there from Georgia and I don't have these data from other states. I just used what I had access to here. But the percentage of hunters that are taking two or three birds has increased dramatically over previous years. And that was part of that, that commentary is, you know, if you think about those numbers and you think, okay, on average, I only harvest one bird. If I'm going to suddenly harvest three this year because I have unlimited amounts of time to go chase birds, how many other guys and gals are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, those bag limits and those season frameworks that were created to make sure this resource is sustainable, go out the window. Uh, those frameworks are no longer uh, applicable to what's being done now on our landscape. And that creates a real issue for state agencies because, um, again, they they could not have anticipated that it was going to occur. So, Part of the commentary was to was as a turkey hunter, I look at myself in the mirror and I think, you know what, um, maybe I should consider me, not you or not anyone else, but maybe I should consider practicing a little restraint this year. Maybe I don't need to take that last bird. Maybe I can just go and guide a kid that has not hunted this year or take someone who hasn't had the opportunity to bag a bird. Maybe I don't need to kill that final bird. And, and again, these are slippery slopes and difficult conversations, but that was, that was part of, of the commentary because I think a lot of people don't realize that season frameworks and bag limits are set based on normal conditions within states. And, and these are unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. Therefore. The harvest and, and the hunter activity that we're seeing is something these states could not have anticipated when they developed those frameworks.
0: Yeah. And see, that's where, and I want, I, that that's exactly what I wanted you to touch on because that, that's some of the, the messages that I got was, you know, if they don't want us to kill, because the limit in Mississippi is three. I'm sure you know that, but if everyone is listening to this does not, some of the messages that, that, that I got was, if they don't want us to kill three, they shouldn't have set three as the limit, you know, that kind of right. thing. That's my, right. my mindset was immediately like nobody on this planet knew that we're going to be experiencing a pandemic and that everyone was going to be at home. No one knew. Right. Uh, so, it, and like you said, there was nothing in that post you made that told that wagged a finger at anybody and said, you should stop shooting turkeys. Now it was it, nothing about it. Said that it was a, like you said, just a step back and look at what you're doing. And so I, I was talking to get me and Jordan, uh, because how we work together and the, the primos, the video team we're around each other a lot. And we were talking about that post and I was like, you know what, man, I was like me personally. Um, I don't know if it's going to affect anybody's opinions or not, but I know a good many people listen to this podcast and follow along with primos. I, I think I am going to not shoot any more turkeys in Mississippi this year. I could legally kill one more, but I just, I'm not going to, I've got, Uh, my girlfriend who's never killed a turkey, I'm gonna focus on her trying to get one. But me as an individual, I'm I'm gonna be done. Just Mm -hmm. just because it's not even if it doesn't help anything per se, it's not gonna hurt for me to not shoot another turkey. That's
2: just
0: you know, something that that I'm gonna do. Scrutinize my own. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that that was kind of the point was just, you know, just look at yourself and think. Do I need to take that last burden? And if you, you know, I'm not going to, I certainly am not going to fault someone for following state regulations. That's not, I mean, not, that's not my job. I don't right. want to design regulations. I do research, but I felt, and, and Brett did as well, that there, I felt a moral obligation to point out the numbers I was seeing because I had access to them and most don't. So, I felt there was an obligation to share it because, again, I think moving forward, there's a chance we'll look back on this year. And, and in some areas, we'll probably say to ourselves, um, wow, that was pretty, that was a pretty dramatic increase in in harvest or hunting activity in, in this part of the world. And and if it doesn't have an effect, then that would be great. If yeah, great. Does, then Then we need to ultimately we're going to have to look at ourselves and, and say, Hey, you know, maybe I, sh- maybe I should have done, to your point. Maybe I should have backed off. Maybe that would have helped birds on this property or that property. Uh, it's just a, it's a very difficult and frustrating scenario. Mm-hmm. To think through. Um, yeah.
0: So in terms of that, um, for someone like myself that's not you know I, i'm i'm pretty i guess I, i'm not knowledgeable when it comes to the especially the type of research that you do like how how long do you think before we know the effects that this is going to have is it going to be like next spring till we kind of get to assess it or or how, how long do you think that would take
1: well I, I think in many situations at least anecdotally we will know next year i mean we will know because you, if you see, for instance, on public ground A or WMA, A, that the harvest increases by 50% relative to last year. That if particularly if that harvest is is Tom's, um and if the Jake harvest increases, which logically you would think it would, mm-hmm. then you would see reductions in gobbling activity because abundance of toms is going to be lower than it was that's just basic math unless there's really high production to offset these these losses so I think anecdotally as hunters we're going to see if we're going to see something we're going to see it next year from from a population perspective it's going to take time because Mm -hmm. um again production in the southeast at least is uniformly declining in, in almost all states. Um, and the, the decline in some states is, is more dramatic than others, but the bottom line is we are not producing as many turkeys as we did 20 years ago. And therefore, the idea that, that we could offset such a, a high increase in harvest, is, that's misguided. We're not producing across the landscape again. And, and a lot of people will contact me and say, well, I've got more birds than I've ever had. Mm-hmm. But across the landscape, across the population, that's not the case. We're mm-hmm. producing fewer birds than we were. So I think in a few years, if we're going to see an effect, I think in a few years we'll, we'll see, hey, um, saw a pretty, you know, good dip in, in production that year or saw – a spike in harvest and then there were some subsequent reductions in abundance or harvest because if we're not producing as many birds as we're taking then obviously through time harvest is going to decrease which is what you're seeing right in many areas until this year of course
0: right what what would you attribute the 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 not producing as many birds as you were 20 years ago in the southeast what would you attribute that to
1: oh man that's a that's a long, that's a tough question. Every, this bird is, is, is facing conditions, none of which are in its favor compared to years ago. You you've seen dramatic changes in habitat around, mm-hmm. um, reductions in hardwood forest, increases in pine monoculture, uh, changes to how, uh, are managed, um, reductions in fire, the, the scope of, of fire on the landscape, and kind of the, the change to using mostly herbicides for site preparation. and So from a forest management standpoint, things have not generally been favorable for turkeys. Then you, we've also seen a, a fairly steady increase in predator abundance mm. on the landscape. Um, not only do we have more predators, we, but we also have more predators that influence turkeys, such as coyotes that weren't even present in many areas of the Far East 30 years ago. They weren't even there, um, now are present. Their abundance has appears to have dramatically increased, and, and maybe they're not even at saturation in some areas yet, so there could be more to come we fragmented habitats that benefit those predators. So we've, and i tell people this, if you think about it, kind of step back and and, and look at the landscape today, it's much better for for predators than it is turkeys. We we've created ideal predator habitat. Um, So put that on in perspective, there are disease issues that we see Mm -hmm. up here and there. We don't, we don't understand the disease issues and how they translate to changes in populations. That's, that's one thing that a lot of people, this is not in my wheelhouse right now, I don't do disease work, but there are some people very talented people that are studying this trying to understand what diseases are out there and what implications do do they have. And which is a a difficult subject to get your head around is harvest. I mean, we don't, we don't hunt this bird like we used to. I mean, we, if you look at how, and and you know, this, if you look at how Turkey hunting has changed since say the 1990s, it's, it's dramatic. I I laugh at myself. I look like I'm carrying around a U-Haul trailer. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I looked in my back seat the other day and and I've only hunted a few times this year. Things have been pretty hectic and, uh, and I don't have access to, to birds locally um, that are at least dense enough to to pull me out of bed, but but I've been a few times and I and I looked in my back seat and I was like, good gosh! I mean, there are decoys and guns yeah. and packs and bags and shells and boots—three different kinds of boots and ankle gaiters—and I, I mean, I'm thinking I literally need to hire someone to carry all this stuff. <laughs> Unbelievable! And and when I grew up, like. Yeah. It was a a mouth call in the pocket, face mask, gloves, and mismatched camouflage pattern. And I shot birds. And now, I personally, I'm guilty of this just like a lot of people are. I don't think I could hunt without all of that stuff anymore. It's unbelievable. And
2: Yeah. um,
1: So, I think, you know, I think we've become more efficient hunters. And I think. That's something that a lot of people, at least in my field, talk about. We speculate, but we don't really know. But we speculate that we're better turkey hunters now. And I think by and large, most people would agree with that. I mean, we we have camouflage patterns that are incredible. We have gear that's incredible. We have shot technology that's incredible. Yeah. Incredibly realistic decoys. Um we have this craze that's it's kind of centered around this bird that, that I know wasn't in, in place 25 years ago. Uh, I could go and, and, and talks or talk with people, and, and a lot of people didn't turkey hunt at all. Yeah. And, and now um, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of interest in this bird. And there's, it's kind of a I, – I don't remember which podcast I was on, but recently I, I was talking on a podcast, and someone asked me about this about the fall hunting versus spring hunting thing. And I grew up fall hunting. Yeah. Primarily. And it's much sexier, the spring hunting. You know, they're, the bird yeah. is, is, and they're showy and they're gaudy and it's exciting. And it, you know, it it just, there's such a, a, a lust about doing it because it's so visceral when you call a bird up and harvest it. 100%. Yeah. That's not there in the fall. So I think as people are not as, to me at least, is not as prominent harvesting birds in the fall, which I have not done in years, but I used to just love to do. But anyway, I think you put all those things together, and there are other issues as well, but you put all those things together, and in general, things have not changed for the better for this bird within the past 20 or 30 years.
0: Yeah, Here's one thing that that a listener sent this in to me that I thought would be interesting to ask about. And I'm saying this is I'm a user of it, but what, like, as far as technological advances, like, take Onyx, for example. Mm-hmm. You have, you can, or I mean, here's the best example I can think of it offhand. Like, when we were in that, that piece of public ground in Tennessee, you could pull up X and you'd see, like, this little, little sliver piece of that public ground that was kind of offset by itself, just a small block that probably before all this internet mapping where you had a filter pop up that told you on your phone, Hey, this is public right here. Mm -hmm. Probably most guys didn't, you know, overlook that spot or didn't realize that was public ground. Whereas to now there was two trucks parked there when we tried to go there. Everyone has Mm -hmm. access to it. Do you think that that, and not only that on like the public ground scale, you know, if you have permission to hunt a piece of private, you can pull up that Onyx map and kind of get a, Pretty decent feel for how that land lays and how you need to go about moving around it before you even step foot on it.
1: Oh yeah, that yeah. could have
0: any effect on on what you were talking about earlier on harvest increase.
1: I I think it could. We don't we don't know. I mean, we, right? It's impossible to quantify that uh, with data. So I, but I will speculate. Um, and I, for everybody listening, I, this is my speculation. So don't come after me. But I suspect that you're right. That our ability to map property before we ever step foot on it makes us much more efficient at our, at what we're doing here. And I, I am guilty of this, um, particularly when it comes to, to deer hunting. Um, I use, you know, I can get on Google earth or, or, or any of these, these, uh, apps and I can figure out before I ever walk out there, that looks like a pretty good spot to go check out. Mm-hmm. And, and knowing turkeys as I do, I can look at a map, particularly if it has elevations attached to it, and I can predict with fair certainty where birds are going to roost because I know what the data tells me. Right. So where these birds roost, and so yeah, uh, and and. I've had people contact me within the past few weeks said, you know, thank you for whatever you posted on this because it helped me kill my first bird. It helped me do this. And that's great. Yeah. You, if you look at it, uh, all the technology and the tools that we have available to us now, it has to have some effect on our ability to efficiently harvest birds. We just don't understand what that effect is. And it is, and it's so hard to quantify it. I think it's probably almost impossible to quantify because most people like that would use mapping probably like, you know, like I'm looking myself in the mirror here.
0: It's the same. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm using a map to figure out exactly where I think birds would roost. And then I'm going to those areas immediately, not staying back at the road listening because I know with, Fair certainty, they're not going to be birds roosting in those places because the data says that's not where they roost. So I'm going to go to this spot and start. And I would not have done that 20 years ago. Right? Part started it, you know, I would have walked down the road and stopped, you know, 500 yards from the gate where I thought I was far enough away from folks, and I'd start listening. I, I wouldn't do that now.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you would think you were, you know, not using good, efficient use of your time, you know, like, exactly. I, can, I can go exactly. right here and be immediately in birds. Yeah. It makes sense. It's just, like you said, it's, it's interesting to think what kind of effects that would have you because you think it would have to have some, um, one last subject that I'd, I'd like for you to briefly touch on. I don't want to eat up too much of your time is you spoke, uh, like again, I keep referring to that meat eater podcast, but it really was good. Like I'll probably, after this one comes out, I'll send people to that one if they haven't heard it already but you talked on on hunting birds i guess uh hunting turkeys early in the season i guess and you, you're probably again you're going to have to correct the things i say cuz i'm probably not you saying it right but um you were talking about shooting the dominant turkey and the hens and sexual selection and how that offsets everything when that happens mm-hmm. that, that kind of subject could you briefly touch on that and before we before we leave
1: yeah yeah so If you look at the way turkeys, their mating system, they're, and we know this as hunters, they're kind of in pockets on the landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, Within those pockets, there are groups of toms that know each other. (laughs) Excuse me. They've spent time around each other for years. And there's a pecking order. There's a hierarchy there where there is a dominant bird. and We all see this. We know it. We know it from seeing it in the woods. That dominant bird is typically your breeder. He's your primary breeder. I'm not saying other toms that are in that area will not breed, but he is the primary breeder. And what genetics work has shown is that some of those toms that are there, uh, may breed or some of them will not breed within Mm -hmm. spring if that dominant tom is there. So, these birds, they stand around and they display together um, because they're either related to each other or they've grown up together. And this hierarchy dictates who does what. So, that's kind of the, the male side. The female side is the same. They, these, hen, <coughs> excuse me, these hens have spent time together and there is a dominant hen. She starts the breeding process with those males. So in other words, those toms become receptive before the hens do. They start gobbling and we see, we've all known this as hunters, that mm-hmm. they start gobbling weeks and weeks before you see breeding activity. Um, that's because the toms, their testosterone increases. They, they get wound up and they're, they're displaying so that sexual selection can function. And what I mean by that is they're displaying and gobbling before hens are receptive so that those hens can determine who the best bird is.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It's the dominant tom in most situations. That's the dominant bird that's atop that hierarchy. So when it's time to start breeding, those hens start with hen one. She picks the tom she wants, she breeds, and then it, it, it flows down this ladder right? So, you have a dominant bird that's, that's breeding these hens in sequence, and, and that all starts with the hen that's atop that her pecking order. So, research years ago, uh, this is not something we just figured out last week. Year, years ago, researchers went in, into populations and they removed, <clears throat> or uh, hunters were removing and researchers, <clears throat> excuse me, were just tracking this, but basically showed. One, these dominant birds are often susceptible to harvest early because they're super aggressive.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, They're aggressive because they're the the dominant bird and they see other birds as being a problem to them. They are wound up. They uh, are trying to copulate with as as many hens as they possibly can. So they will come to calls. Even if they're with hens, they can be brought away from those hens sometimes. Um, and we, we see this. So if you think about how this is supposed to work in the Turkey world and, and genetics work has shown this many clutches that are within this, a, a single population have more than one male in that clutch. Hmm. So this bird is supposed to be able to breed with multiple toms. Not all hens do that. And, and I get, in fact, i would got lit up on Facebook yesterday by by a gentleman about this. They only need to breed with one Tom. Yeah. If you're just trying to produce a, a fertile egg, then just, yeah. But that's not the way this bird operates. Mm-hmm. This bird operates through being able to breed with more than one male, if those dominant birds are available to them. So, What she does is she, some hens, will breed with multiple toms, and then there's competition at two levels. One, she picked the toms she thought were, were the fittest or the best, and then the sperm from those toms competes when it's time to fertilize a clutch. So if you think about that, the best tom wins, right? The best, the fittest, the strongest tom with the most viable sperm, that's who fertilizes Per clutch, so if you go into populations weeks and weeks and weeks ahead of time, and you remove one dominant tom, big deal. But if you go into populations and you remove a lot of dominant birds and a lot of toms in general, then that can be problematic. Which we've yeah. done for years. Um, and and what I one thing I pointed out in that meteor podcast, which which is an important thing to consider. We don't know who the dominant birds are. Um, just because we see this, you've seen this, we've all seen this, turkey hunters, two toms come up to a call, they're together, they're both strutting. Who's the dominant bird? We don't know. Right. Two birds come up to a call, one of them is strutting, the other is not. Who is the dominant bird? Well, logic would dictate it's the strutter.
2: strutter right.
1: Here's the problem. Dominant birds will tolerate strutting and drumming and spitting of non-dominant birds right beside them. We see this all the time. You, You see three birds come up together. They're all strutting. They're all spitting. They're all gobbling. Who is the dominant bird in that bunch? We have absolutely no idea. Yeah, no clue. Unless you've been able to watch those birds for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you know exactly who is kicking everybody else's butt you don't know who the dominant bird is. And, and so people ask, well then why in the world would, would those toms tolerate another bird strutting there? Well, if you look at species that use mating systems like turkeys, um, the more attention draws more attention from females. Mm -hmm. So if you've got toms that are standing there strutting together and gobbling together, the signal is bigger. It's more prominent. It's sh- more showy. It has the uh, potential to attract more attention from hens. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing for not only the breeder, but also, <clears throat> excuse me, the other toms that are there because at some point they may become breeders and they're going to benefit from that increased female attraction, if you will The more right. female become the better. So that was kind of the point in the, and, and when Brody asked me that in, in that meat eater podcast, that was kind of what I was trying to convey is that um early in the season, before this bird has started laying clutches and incubating nest, if you go in and you remove one or two toms, whoopee, but if you go in and you remove a high rate, you know, like a high number, a high percentage of the males, you really don't know who those dominant birds are. And that has to have some influence on their populations. We just don't understand what it is. And, right. and I'll, I'll, I'll admit to you, like I, I've been skeptical of this in my own head because, um, you know, we don't like to hear this. We don't like to consider the fact that, that we could be part of the problem.
0: Yeah, you no, know, cause if that's a problem, then I'm guilty of it. But at the same time, well, at the same time, like I, I love turkey hunting. I love turkeys. I love watching them. So if what you're telling me, you know, even if it's not things I want to hear, if it could help me have better turkey hunting in the future and better turkey populations. And it's something that I need to hear and everybody needs to hear. That's the attitude I have about it.
1: I agree. And I, and I, I'm guilty as, as sin myself. Um, You know, I, I look at my own actions and, and, and I think, well, you know now knowing what i know now had i known that then would i have behaved differently i probably would have right but on the flip side you know and this is this is not this is not a hunter issue this is not a uh, this is not and i pointed this out on, on, on that meat eater podcast this is not a hunting issue mm-hmm. if, if you step back and think about it this is a regulations issue mm-hmm. this is you know, I'm not going to fault someone ever because I'm, I, do, I do it myself. I'm not going to fault someone for hunting and taking birds within the legal framework of their season. That, that I mean, that's not my judgment. That, that, we, we can't do that. Correct. The onus is on state agencies to use the science that's available to create frameworks that are acceptable to hunters Understanding that we're all in this together. We're we're all in this puzzle together. This is, we all want the same thing. We want turkey populations that are sustainable, that we can, years and decades. But agencies are going to have to create frameworks that are acceptable to hunters, and hunters are going to have to understand. Their ability, the agency's ability to do that is going to take a little skin off from us. We're going to have to, in some states, not some states have frameworks that are, that are perfectly in line with, with the ecology of the bird. Pennsylvania, for one,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Pennsylvania season is well timed. Um, they time it right at the median incubation dates for their hens. So, in other words, when the season starts there, there are some changes year to year, but but by and large, the way that season is timed, when it opens, a lot of those birds are already nesting, which means that the bulk of breeding is already over with um, So it's just going to take hunters and agencies working together, mm-hmm. set regulations that, that are socially acceptable to us, to you and I, but also are more commensurate with this bird ecology. And in many situations, not all, but in many situations, the, time is, the timing is currently, it's too early.
2: Right.
1: The populations. And, and again, it, it ultimately boils down to harvest rate. If you're going into a population and just taking a tom here and there, it probably doesn't matter when you do that. But if you're going into a population, you know, four weeks before nesting starts and you're taking 30 or 40% of your toms out, which we see, mm-hmm. in some, uh, that to me, has to be an influence to the population we again we just don't know what the influence is yeah but i point out to people that that harvest is one of the few things that we can control at a scale that's that means anything to this bird i mean we can't and and this is it's tough to think about but if you think about managing habitat most turkeys live on private land
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so you know saying well the the state agencies or the federal agencies need need to do a better job. Well, they they manage such a small footprint of of our continent that most turkeys aren't influenced by what those agencies do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how do we manage predation? You can't manage predation at a, at a scale that's large enough to influence this bird. Yes, you can absolutely go in on properties and sometimes large properties, and you can you can do predator management, you can do habitat management, and you can absolutely see positive influences on your turkeys. But across the whole region, that, that's not a possibility. So right. this is one of the few things that we actually can control at a large enough scale that it could, I'm not saying it, it, it will, but it could have an influence on what we see 10 years down the road.
0: hmm and see, that's the part of that what makes and you what you're saying much more credible to me is that you are first and foremost the turkey hunter yourself. You know, you're not like you said you're not trying to take this away from anybody. You want what all of us want that's better turkey hunting in the future.
1: And yeah. That, yeah, yeah. And and it, it, you know, I can take I can take criticism for for saying these things. I I I understand. I mean, it's a sensitive subject.
0: Very, but I under, I get it.
1: But I, I look at myself and I, I think, you know what? <clears throat> and I, like I've, I've pointed out in other podcasts, well, if you told me that today, today, that I could hear one or two birds, and if I changed the way we do things a little bit, five years down the road, I could hear four. Or if you told me, hey, Mike, instead of starting the middle of March, we're going to have, we're going to have to cut a couple of days or a week or two weeks or whatever off your season at the front end. So you're not going to get to hunt as many days, but the number of birds that you see hear, and harvest could potentially be higher. I would take that all day long. Mm -hmm. The quality of those hunts, at least speaking personally, and again, this is just, this is Mike. This is, I don't expect anyone else to think this way. Mm-hmm. But I look at myself and I, if I hear a bird I, and I get to work a bird, I've had a tremendous day. Uh, do I want to harvest a turkey? Ap- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if I don't, am I going to be disappointed? Yeah. Somewhere in the back recesses of my mind, if <laughs> I don't harvest a bird, I'm going to be disappointed.
2: And yeah.
1: that's just the way, that's the way we are. Um, but you know, first and foremost, I want to make sure that 10 years from now, I'm hearing as many birds or more birds than I'm hearing right now. Right. And, and then personally, I'm willing to change the way I behave to make that happen. And, but, but again, this is not on, this is not on hunters to make these decisions. This is on this, this is going to require us as hunters to work with agencies to try to figure out what makes the most sense from a season framework standpoint, recognizing that some States are doing fine and and other States um, may need to make some tweaks based on what we know about the bird.
0: Right. Right. Well, I could not thank you enough for your insight. Really. Um, Last thing, where can our listeners, where can they find you get your, your Instagram and Facebook and everything?
1: Yeah. So on, on Facebook, you can just search on my name. I, I don't, I just have a personal page, which I may end up, <laughs> I may end up changing that. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, on, on Twitter and Instagram, it's the handles, uh, wild Turkey doc, just the, the, the word wild Turkey DOC at the end. And, um, and yeah, I, I post, I post content every, every Tuesday, called Turkey Tuesday, just trying to put little tidbits of information out some of it, uh, is kind of touchy-feely, happy stuff, and some of it, like this this past week, which prompted this this uh, podcast, is a little more controversial, and and it's meant to be that. It's meant to be thought-provoking, but all right. goal is I want people to see what research is being done, not just mine, just other research. What's going on? Why they should care about the research? And what it ultimately means to them as hunters and managers, and and I, in general, people like me do a poor job at trying to get information out to the people that actually bills, that actually matter, which are the hunters. So that those posts are meant to just provide little snippets of information where people can can read it, digest it. They can contact me, message me with questions, uh, and I try to be as responsive as I can uh sometimes it takes me a few days to respond to all the messages um but i do my best but that's but yeah you, folks can find me on social media and and um yeah i, I i'm happy to try to entertain questions and, and engage with people uh even if the subject matters is is not what we all want to discuss
0: yeah well uh, turkey tuesday has become I've, I've gotten to the point where i look for it every tuesday because it's it's interesting stuff man without I, these guys, you know, I won't eat up any more of your time, but like the posts that they can go back and look at, like the, the one you did about the roosting sites and, and everything, it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting stuff, man, wildly interesting. So, um, again, I cannot thank you enough. Um, and yeah, that'll, that'll be it for today. Thank you so much for your time, sir.
1: Uh, not a problem. It was good being with you.
0: Thank you. Thank you all for listening to the speak the language podcast.